0: All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Thursday, May 13th, which means we are digging deeper into the Psalms. And we are looking today at Psalms 15, 16, and 17. Three Psalms that don't necessarily have a whole lot of cohesion together, but are all short, so that we may look at them before we get to next week's extremely long Psalm 18. So Psalm 15 has the great theme of dwelling on God's holy hill. And it talks about the habitation of God as it is seen through the Psalms, especially as David sees it in preparation for the building of the temple that Solomon would do. So Psalm 15, a Psalm of David, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does not evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. All right, so far, Psalm 15. Many things going on here as we look at these psalms. First, where does God live? Where does he dwell? First of all, God dwells in a tent. David is writing this, as I said, as he's preparing for Solomon to build the temple. But at the moment, God dwells in a tent, whether it's the tabernacle, or the tent that David put up in his own palace to be able to have the Ark of the Covenant in his house. Either one of them will work. But then also, there is the holy hill, Mount Zion, the temple mount, where David had cleared off land so that the temple could be built, so that God would have a house on top of the hill. And that holy hill theme runs through the Psalms, especially as we talk about the hill being elevated to the highest of the mountains, not because it gets taller than Mount Everest, but because of the holiness of that place, because God causes his name to dwell there. Now, of course, the questions are, who shall dwell there? Who shall be in his tent? Who shall be on his hill? It says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. This is very reminiscent of the way Cornelius was described by his servants who came to get Peter, as we heard this past Sunday in the three-year lectionary, about receiving the word, and how wonderfully and upright a man Cornelius was and well thought of by the Jewish nation. It's people like him that are able to dwell in the Lord's house, to live on his hill and sojourn in his tent. And this is not because of themselves. This is because of the grace of God that he has given them, that God has made them a person who, is, who does what is right and who walks blamelessly, who does not slander, because you and I can't do that on our own. We can't stop our sinning. And so he also reflects back to Psalm 1, at the end of the psalm. He who does these things shall never be moved. And that's coming up this Sunday as the psalm in the three-year lectionary. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, nor stands in the way of sinners. This man is like a tree planted by streams of water and he shall not be moved. That is the promise that God gives to us, that those who abide in his word, who abide in Jesus as the true vine, from John 15, have that promise. They will not be moved. And now in that sense, we have a bridge to Psalm 16, which is where we have Peter's great statement and quotation from the Psalms in the Pentecost sermon about the Lord not putting his anointed one to see corruption. Psalm 16, a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. For in you I take refuge, and goes on to say, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. This is David being that man after God's own heart who sets the Lord always before him. And because he is at his right hand, not because he is subservient to David, but because he is humbling himself to that role. That he gives us in Christ Jesus. That it is he who helps us in our time of need. Not because we can do it ourselves. We are only standing firm and not shaken because of him. Because he is our portion. He is our cup. He is our lot. Then we have verse 10 that Peter picks up in Pentecost sermon. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. This is a great and wonderful promise of the resurrection. Very similar, yet slightly shifted from Job's great thing, that in my flesh, with my own eyes, I will see the Lord. Job is talking about after my flesh has decayed and broken down. But David says, you will not let the holy one see corruption you will not abandon my soul this is the resurrection this is the promise of the saints and their resurrection and their soul being before the lord when they die but the soul does not see corruption the soul goes to its reward as we see in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus where Immediately after his death, the rich man finds himself in torment in Hades. Lazarus, the poor beggar, finds himself in Abraham's bosom, seeing all the delights that he did not have in this life. And then with that, he points out, summarizing the entire thing again, not just the great promise of resurrection for the next life, but also the fact that the Lord is our refuge. Verse 11, he says, you make known to me the path of life. This is very similar to the two ways doctrine is taught in the Didache and the Epistle of Barnabas, that there are two ways, the way of life and the way of death. The Lord shows us the way of life, giving us that fullness of his joy, that pleasures forevermore, not simply sensual pleasures that please the eyes and the hands and all of that, but the eternal pleasures of having no more sin, no more sorrow, no more struggle, because we will be with our Lord in heaven. And now we go into Psalm 17. A prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Here we have a great prayer of David that really could have been written at any point in his life because there were many times... Where he is surrounded by his enemies. But we do need to take example with verses 4 and 5. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. This is the man who went in and out of Israel, leading the troops into battle, and says, I have avoided the ways of the violent. How can a man of war say, I have kept myself from violence? Well, he is upholding the fifth commandment by executing just wars against his enemies, those who threaten the people of God. But then there's also the case of Uriah, where he orders his execution in the middle of a battle. How does that coincide? Well, that sin has been covered Nathan says in 2 Samuel 12. So he does not have that anymore. But again, you have the violence. You have Saul seeking after him. You have Absalom rising up against him. You have the Philistines that plague him his entire life. From the time that he takes down Goliath until he becomes too old to fight in the wars. But all of these things are covered by God's grace and forgiveness. So David says in verse 8 and 9, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. Read through 1 Samuel, the last dozen chapters, and you see over and over again David's enemies being members of his own family. Now, granted to family by marriage, because his wife, who he had loved as a youth, becomes very uh, disenchanted with him. His father-in-law decides that he'd be better as a trophy on the wall than as the psalmist and the court musician. And then, once he is allowed to flee, thanks to his brother-in-law, Jonathan, He's then pursued like a wild dog, like something that needs to be put down. So, David understands the idea of violence around him and his need for God's protection because he has nobody else. I mean, yes, he has the soldiers who have come with him, but they can all fail. I mean, you have. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and you have each and every one of the disciples saying that they are willing to die with him and then what happens when Judas leads the band of soldiers in they scatter to the four winds David's soldiers could do the exact same thing but David knows where his true refuge lies, not in the strength of the men that surround him that have expressed their loyalty to him, but in the God who has saved him from the lion, from the bear, and from every enemy that has ever come up against him. And so in the midst of all this, verse 12 we have, he is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. This Immediately, comes to mind with Absalom, is that Absalom, after killing his brother, lies in wait, waiting his time to bring about his rebellion, lying and amb- lurking in ambush as a young lion, as as Absalom would be a young man at the time. But we also bring in First Peter chapter five verse eight, the real issue and real enemy in this time be sober minded be watchful Peter says your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour in the midst of all the violence at the core of all the violence at the core of everything that stands up against the church of Jesus Christ is the devil seeking to devour any one and anything that he can get a hand, his hands on, and that's what happens to those who fall into his traps: is they get devoured. They are no longer their own, even though they think they are. They are truly his possession. He is their portion, their cup, their lot. Going back to Psalm 16. And I, well, hey, I've made more connections uh, between the psalms than I had thought about in the beginning. Again. Mm-hmm. This is one of the great things about the podcast and about these studies, is that we can dig deeper, thinking one thing at the beginning and then coming to another conclusion at the end. Not that the beginning was wrong, but not seeing things the first time through as I'm taking the notes, but as I'm reading through again in this recording, making these great observations. So we have the Lord as our refuge. The Lord who has brought us That refuge through simple water included in Christ's command and combined with God's word in baptism. David didn't have it, David had the circumcision that was the covenant and sign in the Old Testament. But today, you and I have the sacrament of baptism that marks us as one redeemed by Christ the crucified, by Christ the resurrected. And as we celebrate Ascension Day today, Christ, the Ascended One, who is sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us, being our refuge as we bring our request before our Heavenly Father. All right, that's it for Psalms 15, 16, and 17 this week. Next week, we get into Psalm 18, and its length is quite long. And in fact, one year when I was doing and preaching through the Psalms, I did an entire service where the liturgy was just Psalm 18 interspersed. So we'll look at that next week as well as we look at the Psalm. But again, I encourage you to listen to all the podcast episodes. Confessional Corner on Monday, Pro Wrestling America on Wednesday, Digging Deeper on Thursday, Moments of Meditation throughout the week Uh, there are new moments of meditation coming live to local radio here in the great region known as Ileana by at least the radio station uh, uh, WIBK 96.9 if you are in the Iroquois County Illinois area I encourage you to listen to those each morning as well as I also bring about the classic ones on the podcast but until then This is Pastor Doug Minton wishing you God's richest blessings as you take refuge in him while you wrestle with theology this week. Amen.